Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Natalie Lucier. Natalie is the founder of Access Ally, which is a WordPress plugin where they help people sell online courses while putting the student experience first. This is a great episode where we dive into Natalie's entire journey from software engineering in college to building a platform all about raw food through every step of the way to get to where she is today. It's been it's been quite a decade of building, growing, pivoting, adjusting, and I think you're going to get a, a lot out of this episode. So without further ado, let's just dive right into my conversation with Natalie Lucier. I want to say it, it all ties together. Like everything you're doing all fits together with um, who you are and like where you come from and your experience, but it's just, it's amazing yeah. to go from raw food all the way into uh, the membership stuff and the software and everything totally. that you're doing. So, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. So where are you located now? Um, we're actually just moved to um, Niagara Falls area in Canada. So we were oh, in nice. Texas and we moved like pretty much in February, right before the pandemic and everything kind of <laughs> went crazy. Um, yeah. But just for family and yeah, we got, we bought a farm. So we're into like permaculture and all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> that's exciting. So yeah. like with permaculture, what is that? What does that entail like for you? Uh, so we got chickens and sheep started planting trees um of like a small veggie garden and we're hoping to expand and just yeah like learning how all of that fits together like maybe building a pond like just a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's very cool i mean because it is the sort of getting away from the computer doing something yes. else is hugely valuable because we Absolutely. can we can we can definitely live just in the screen all the yes. time. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Which is probably not the healthiest habit. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's great. And Niagara Falls, just that that area is just awesome. It's it is, yeah. yeah. We were looking for like the warmest part of Canada that was still close to family. <laughs> and this is pretty much it. So it's uh -huh. sort of we can grow like more like peaches and like warmer kind of season things. So yeah, it works out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and going from Texas to I mean, if you weren't in the warmest part of Canada, that's it. It's a huge, a pretty shift. big shock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so one of the things I found really interesting, you built your first website at 12 years old. Yes. So this is what's really wild is I just talked to someone else like a couple weeks ago who also right around the same age built the first website. I built mine at 14 um, website That's hosting, awesome. like all this stuff. How did that come about like that early at that early of an age? Yeah. So I remember my dad got us a computer and um, back then everyone was like, oh no, beware of the internet. Like it's dangerous <laughs> for kids and it's dangerous for, you know, everybody, you know, who knows what's lurking on the other side. Um, but at the time you got free hosting when you got connected to the internet with the service that we were on. Um, and then I was like, oh, what does that mean? And my dad was like, well, you know, you can call uh, and they'll walk you through it. So like I called and 
the guy was like, oh yeah, here's how you get onto FTP and here's how you upload stuff. And he just walked me through the whole thing. And then after that, he asked my dad like, well, how old is this kid? <laughs> and, and then my dad's like, oh, you know, she's like 11 or 12 or whatever. And he was like, what? Like, that's crazy. Um, so that's kind of how I got like my first website up. But um, how I got really into it was connecting with the community of people who are into anime and other um, like things that I was interested in and kind of geeking out on. And they were all so um, into designing a lot of websites. So I was like learning from them and we're kind of like sharing and communicating. And it was more of a community thing than just a solo thing, even though a lot of it was, you know, at home by yourself on your computer. Um, it was kind of the community aspect that really pulled me into it more than anything. Yeah. And before that, did you consider yourself just like drawn to the computer, drawn to tech? Or was it something that the community really brought you into? I would say the community was a big part of it. Um, I always like I liked the computer more for writing. So I um, before we got really connected to the Internet, I would write newsletters, which is kind of silly because I still write newsletters today. But um, and I would basically print them out and sell them to like my family and my friends for like 25 cents each. And um, this kind of like a newspaper. Right. And so uh -huh. I would actually collect my friends uh, stories and then I would type them up and like put everything together and format it and stuff. So I liked kind of the publishing aspect of computers, but I had never really um, thought about it from a tech aspect. It was more about content and community, I would say. Um, and then as I got older and I learned about code and algorithms and like how everything works and kind of taught myself HTML, then I went more and more into that side of things and I ended up getting a degree in software engineering. And even when I was choosing like what I want to study, I knew computers would be a big part of it, but I thought I would be more on the design side because I always liked the design aspect. And then I ended up doing more of the coding. And I was like, this is not quite what I signed up for. <laughs> um, and I had some internships. So I got to work, you know, in Silicon Valley and Wall Street. And that's kind of where it was like, oh, you know, maybe this is not quite the right fit for me in terms of what I like doing. Um, but like it ended up kind of coming full circle later <laughs> in my career too. <laughs> yeah. And why don't we jump forward then to today? So um, for the listeners, what's the overview of what you do and Access Ally and everything? Yeah. So basically we founded or I founded Access Ally in 2014. And at the time, uh, you know, we just released our first plugin called Pop-Up Ally Pro, which was all about, you know, a polite pop-up and how to get people to opt into your email list without annoying them while they're on your website, essentially. And that was a kind of our, our test product because it was our first time. My husband and I actually is our, our lead developer. Um, you know, putting software out there and we weren't sure how support would be, how, you know, how we would actually sell it. So we kind of did that first to get our feet wet, but we kind of knew in the back of our minds that Access Ally was the flagship product that we really wanted to go um, out into the world with. And so that is a membership and learning management system for WordPress. And it just does, since then, it's like grown a lot, but basically we built it for ourselves first. So it was just coded up in a weekend to replace nice. the tool that we were using before that was causing all kinds of problems um, on my website host. So it was literally <laughs> just like, we need to fix this problem. Let's just build it. And then over time, we um, kept improving it and we had ideas for what we wanted to do. And then we got feedback once we started selling it from our actual customers and we kind of incorporated that. And now it's like this kind of all-in-one system that does, you know, membership management, it connects to CRMs like um, ActiveCampaign and ConvertKit. And 
Uh, it does cool like progress tracking, gamification, you know, it can have teams so you could sell uh, licenses for your courses, do membership directories, just all kinds of stuff. So it's like grown into its own thing um, since then. Yeah, and that's awesome. I mean, especially in 2014 to to roll out your own <laughs> like LMS, like learning management system in over a weekend, That's it's huge because at the time there weren't really great options say i mean there was mm -hmm. like you mentioned you were struggling with some of the some of what was out there because it wasn't 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 the best I, like because we've been building sites for so long it's like we've we've run the gamut of all the different <laughs> all the different things over the years um so when you were rolling that out what was the project that you were doing because um maybe we should rewind just a little bit because i like um i really liked sort of the jump from software engineering into the raw foods witch, which is yes. a complete pivot. Yeah, so kind of what I was mentioning when I was graduating from my software engineering degree, I kind of had this inkling that, you know what, going into the corporate software side of things was not the right solution or the right path for me. So that's when I decided to take a step back and I was like, you know, I've always been kind of entrepreneurial, want to do my own thing, so I'm gonna start a business. And at the time I was reading so many blogs on, you know, how to start to start your own business, you know, what should you do? And a lot of them said, you know, start a business about what you're passionate about. And I was passionate about healthy eating. And at the time I was into raw foods and I was like, yeah, like this is a good market. And I talked to a couple of sort of business coaches and they were like, yes, raw food is hot. You should do it. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. And so I started a blog called raw foods, Witch, and it was all about healthy eating, you know, recipes and videos and all kinds of stuff like that. And um, I built my own website and I kind of did all of that tech stuff on my own. And um, it started to kind of take off and it was doing well, but there was a part of me that was like, you know, I'm really self-taught in all of this. And if I'm going to keep giving people nutritional advice, I should probably go back to school or take some sort of training um, because it was really a passion thing and not like, I didn't feel like I had what it took to really like guide people in their own like health journey. So that was kind of a turning point where I was like, I either have to do that or maybe take a different path. And so for me, um, I realized what I enjoyed doing in this business was really the website stuff and the marketing stuff. And I realized, you know, obviously with my background, that kind of made sense. Um, and, you know, the health stuff and the passion stuff was still a personal passion of mine. I still care about healthy eating, um, not so much the raw food <laughs> because I've kind of <laughs> yeah. come full circle on that too. Um, but I realized, you know, that was a passion thing, but I kind of lost the passion for it when I tried to make it into a business. Um, and that was a big realization for me that, you know, it's something that you, whatever business you want to start, it should be something that you care about and that you're going to be able to do for like five, 10, 20 years. And that was a, a big turning point when I made that decision. Um, so what ended up happening was I kind of put up a shingle and said, hey, you know, I'm going to start building websites now and um, teach people about technology. And that kind of became like a six figure business pretty quickly once once I made that shift. And people were even emailing me saying like, oh, we've been waiting for this the whole time. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I thought you were here for this other stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so that had was an you, interesting. Had you monetized um, Raw Foods Witch? Yes. Um, so I was doing um, meal plans, essentially, so people could buy those. And then I had sort of a little meal planning app. Um, it wasn't mobile or anything. It was just like on a website where you could log in and kind of drag and drop your meals and kind of it would give you like a shopping list and stuff. And um, that could itself have been its own 
thing that could have grown and been awesome. Um, but again, I was kind of like, oh, this is not quite like what I'm super passionate about. Um, so yeah, I had a couple of like revenue streams for it, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge, huge, huge income earner either. Oh yeah. So then pivoting because that is, I feel like it's a challenge to always be like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm moving on to the new thing. Did you have an overlap for a little bit? Like as you were building the six figure, um, design and development house? Um, yeah, so I still had a product. Um, so I had an online course also that I should mention in that business. And so, um, I, I think I relaunched it like once or twice more after I had made that pivot. And then I finally, I just like kind of said, okay, this is it. Um, mm -hmm. or maybe it was still on evergreen for a while. So people could still buy it. Um, but I wasn't actively like coaching or anything like that. Um, but yeah, because with the web design, I ended up taking on quite a few clients like fairly quickly. There wasn't a need to continue to do more of the coaching on the raw food side because um, I kind of feel like I had like pent up demand for it, even though I didn't realize <laughs> at the uh -huh. time that people were like, yeah, we want you to do our website. Um, and, and that was interesting, too, because I ended up uh, hiring contractors to help me implement some of the designs. And I partnered with another designer to she did more of the visuals and that we did more of the implementation. So um, that kind of qu very quickly happened just through all the people that I knew and everything that happened at that point would not have been possible without starting the raw food switch in the first place, because that's how I got to know kind of the community and the network and all of that. Yeah. And there was just one thing I've always been curious. Did you start with raw foods, raw food switch, and then it just worked? Was that yes. part of the branding? Okay. <laughs> no, no, so I totally bought rawfoodswitch.com. Um, <laughs> and then I realized after doing some market research and just talking to people, they were like, I don't want to switch to raw foods. Like, I'm sorry. It's just too big of a leap. Um, and then my boyfriend, who's actually my husband now, was like, why don't you just move the S? And you always <laughs> liked witches and Halloween and stuff. So you could just play with it. And that actually made a huge difference. We had um, a friend who ended up designing the logo for me of like a little witch on a carrot. And mm -hmm. that like was, was that Marty? Iconic. It was, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And uh, like that just made the whole brand for sure. Um, that mm -hmm. just moving the S. <laughs> It was yeah, <laughs> no, but it's great because it also, I mean, it works from a product and SEO kind of standpoint, but also yeah. a distinct brand that was unlike anyone else. Like, yeah, it was really good stuff. And I love then the pivot, like you're finding mm -hmm. what it is because we've sort of come up in this space, this online, like making money entrepreneurship space at the same time. So yep. um, I think I've, I discovered you first through the work you did with Naomi at IttyBiz. Mm -hmm. And that was sort yes. of when you were building uh, raw foods, raw foods, which I think I still worked a job back then because you probably started maybe 2008, 2009. Yeah. 2008 is when I graduated in 2009 is when I got the website up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I started yep. two, 2010 was my full time in entrepreneurship. So yeah, right along the awesome. same path. So yes. then moving on into, um, your design work, but then you grew into more of a personal brand. So what was the, the impetus yeah. for doing that? Yeah. So, um, I kind of knew, like, I didn't want to be doing web design forever just because I had actually done a little bit of web design in high school for clients. And I was like, I talk about this a lot. It kind of feels like the spiral staircase where I felt like I was back to square one. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, Oh, I'm designing websites again. Like I did this before as like, I was, well, I was not 12 when I was designing websites. I was probably 16 or so, uh, and charging like local, small local businesses in my town. Uh, but I felt like, Oh, I'm kind of stuck. Like I graduated, I did this other thing. And then 
and now I'm kind of back here. Um, but I realized like, no, I actually like a lot happened in between and I have a lot more experience on marketing and all these other things. So, um, you know, don't feel bad that I'm back into web design and use it to see what's next. Right. So what ended up happening was um, some of the people who were coming to me were interested in more strategy for marketing. So I kind of realized it's not just about doing the implementation stuff, but it's also helping people with like launches and the marketing side once they do have their sites up. Um, so ended up starting to take more consulting clients. And um, one of the things that I was learning on the marketing is just, you know, the consistency of publishing content, right? So I would do a little tech uh, called getting techie with it video every week. <laughs> and I was teaching people, you know, very basic things like how to create an opt-in for your website, you know, how to install an SEO plugin on WordPress, like very basic things, but that sort of my community who kind of came from the raw food space or the healthy eating space, um, they didn't have those resources at the time. So it really helped them bridge the gap for their businesses or whatever they were up to. And um, so I kind of kept creating content, started taking on more, what I would say, general consulting clients, like more business consulting and less specifically for tech. And, um, and then people were, it was kind of like, it just kept going and going like a little bit further and further and people wanted more you know, general business coaching. And I realized, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I want to offer more of a mastermind. I want to, um, you know, have maybe an event, you know, a live event, which I ended up doing. And so it kind of just like step-by-step, step, it kind of got to a slightly different place from where I started. And uh, that personal brand was a big part of it. So um, I was working with Marie Forleo um, as my coach. And so she was doing these videos every week. And so instead of doing tech videos, I ended up doing more on camera videos. And so it just kind of like kept evolving and kind of up leveling a little bit more over time that way. Yeah, and I think that's really valuable because you weren't just saying, oh, I'm going to do this and see what happens. You were actually identifying the opportunities. You were seeing that this is what people needs, what what people need, and then you were pivoting and adjusting. And yeah, I think that's hugely valuable and the way to do it, you know? Um, so then a live event also, that is a huge undertaking was that how did that go and what was sort of what kind of work went into putting that on yeah so um it all kind of came together after i moved to new york city where i was like okay like i'm in a place where i feel like if i did an event people could come there's a lot of people in the area they may or may not have to travel too much to get here and because before I was living in Canada and I was like, I don't know if I could do an event. Would people travel to come to Canada to my event? I don't know. Um, so I felt like I, I was in a good location and um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to set a date and just invite people. I invited all clients that I've ever worked with. I invited obviously my email list and um, some people I comped, some people I gave like very cheap tickets to. And, um, it, you know, I invited my friends to speak on stage and I was like, okay, like, let's just see what happens. And I know that the first year is not going to be super awesome. I mean, it was good, but, but you know, it's just <laughs> going to be an experience. Right. And so I sent the date and I think I gave myself like five or six months, uh, from the date to get everything organized and like tell people, invite people, um, which I would not recommend at least give yourself a year <laughs> if you're going to yeah. do something like that. Um, but it ended up being really great. I think we had 80 people at the first event. Um, and we had some really awesome speakers and we ended up recording it. And then once you have something to show people for next year, it's so much easier to get them to realize the value of going and taking time out of their lives to be there. Um, and then what I ended up doing is I used it as a launching off point to sell and offer my mastermind. 
which was basically a nine month program um, with coaching and strategy and um, retreats and all kinds of good stuff too. And uh, I did end up doing another event also the second year in New York. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was like 120 people. So it grew a little bit. And then um, the year after that, we moved to Texas and then we did it in Dallas and we had about 200 people that year. So it was like on a nice little gentle growth <laughs> introductory. Um, and we also used it as a bonus, for, you know, ticket as a bonus for when we were selling our online courses. So um, that was really cool because what we saw is that people would meet in the online course and then say, hey, are you going to the event? I'm going to go. I want to meet you there. Um, and so that was like another way to kind of build the community and give people a chance to connect um, offline. And um, yeah, and it just it worked out really, really well that way. Yeah. And I love it's the continued action. Like you keep taking actions, doing more and not like you're not focused on growth. It doesn't seem like over over this journey, you're focused on adjusting and doing the things that the market is actually asking for. So when you dove into Access Ally, that was I mean, it's it's a big product now. So you, Mm -hmm. you mentioned how you started in a weekend. How did you uh, balance sort of shifting your resources from the personal brand into the product? Yeah, that was an interesting balance. And we're still (laughs) sort of recovering from that in a way, which is a weird thing to say. But um, we put a lot of resources, you know, originally on the personal brand and, you know, those coaching clients and our online courses and our content. You know, we have a lot of things Um, kind of in place from all of that work that kind of accumulate over time right and it's almost like a I would say like a train or something where you're like you're on this track and then you have to kind of like shift tracks a little bit so the actual development was not bad because my husband was able to really focus on that because he didn't have as much of a role in um, the previous business kind of content context, if you will. Um, So that was good. But then for shifting the marketing, you know, we did have to refocus a lot of that. And there was definitely a lot of overlap of audiences again. So I was super lucky. I feel like we built what people wanted who were already in our community. And and a lot of it came from their feedback and their requests. So that helped too. Um, But yeah, just like starting to talk more about that. And then with all of that, at some point, we also ended up having our first child. And that was kind of our cutoff point for when I would stop doing coaching just because, um, and, and masterminds and stuff, just because there's like travel involved and a lot more calls. And I knew like with a baby, you can't really have as much predictability. Uh, so that was our, our own internal deadline essentially was like, all right, like before this year, I would rather not be doing as much of that. Um, and so we ended up Um, shifting our mastermind program into more of an experts training program for the software. So a lot of the things that we had learned on running retreats and coaching and all of that, we kind of shifted it into a certification program. And then we layered in the technology and we kind of shifted who we were marketing it to, to other experts who are like web developers or strategists or designers. And um, that was a a really good move too, because we had didn't have to like throw out the baby with the bathwater in terms of <laughs> yeah. all the systems and all the marketing and all the things we had learned from doing that. Um, and then we ended up, you know, building great partnerships with these people who were out there using our software and recommending it to their clients. Yeah. And um, speaking of the partnerships, you've written a little bit about um, people, people being the most important part, like people almost being more important than ideas and things. And how have people mm-hmm. then played a role in building your business? 
Oh man, I feel like it's it's all people, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so we, um, as now, you know, our company is ten people strong at this point. So um, all full time people, and it's um, like I really feel it. It's the people that make make the work happen. You know, that connect with the clients that solve problems that do all of these things. And our sort of way that we think about things internally is we don't have like quarterly goals for growth, like you mentioned, or things like that. We have, you know, we take care of each other as a team, we take care of our clients and partners, and then we continue to improve our product and processes. And that's basically how we make decisions, how we plan, how we do anything. And I feel like that taking care of each other as a team and taking care of our clients and partners is pretty much at the core of how we've stayed successful and how we continue to grow because, you know, with you think about the pandemic or you think about changes in the marketplace or any of that stuff, you know, people tell us we stay with you because, you know, we obviously the product is great, but we love you guys. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the, that's the thing that you can't get from just like a random plugin that you buy or, you know, so I think to me, that's, that's a big, it's a big thing that, um, it's something that it's worth cultivating and worth investing in. And it might feel like it doesn't scale sometimes, uh, but going the extra mile for a client or a partner really just makes such a huge difference. Absolutely. And then when you're hiring, how do you hire for the culture? Because that is like you're saying, I mean, finding the people that sort of have the same, um, maybe internal compass on how they want to treat people, how they want to support people. How do you find that? And how do you uh, pick those people out of, out of the crowd of potential candidates? Yeah, we're learning a lot (laughs) about how to do it. Right. Um, So one thing we've noticed is that um, hiring from within our network or within people who are already in our community tends to give us that shortcut. So we've actually hired some of our certified experts and uh, they, you know, it's cool because we've known them for years, right? So we have experience with how they communicate with people, you know, how they do things. And so that gives us like a shortcut to saying, yes, like this is the right fit already. Um, And so that's one, one way that we've grown um, very successfully and very like smoothly. And then if we're doing something where we have to like advertise everywhere and they don't know us and we don't know them, um, yeah, we do a trial period and we do, uh, you know, obviously interviews and other things to kind of get a feel for people. And, um, and that's worked out pretty well too. And I think it's, it's also um, just kind of like trusting your gut sometimes and just giving someone a chance and hoping that it works out. And I know that sounds kind of like iffy, but <laughs> I think that sometimes it's, you know, giving yourself time to try it out and, and make sure that it it's going to be a good fit. Yeah. I mean, you never really know until you're there working together every day. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's great advice also looking within the network because really you do people sort of, they know who you are. They know what they expect out of the things that you do. So yeah, it's a definitely a little shortcut. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, when you're growing, So how do you advise that people grow? What would be your recommendation in terms of actual expansion? Because um, you mentioned you have 10 employees and each one obviously cuts into the the revenues and cuts into this and that. But there's always that little balance of, okay, we need to we need to do this for X. Do you have any sort of advice for people as they grow? 
Yeah, so we um, are just doing this internally with our company. We kind of designed an org chart for the next three years of like where we could sort of foresee ourselves um, if our growth continues or if we get, you know, to certain levels, then it makes sense to add on these other roles or these other people to the team. And yeah, we kind of were like, okay, like how do we like afford this, right? So it's we're not <laughs> quite there yet, obviously three years from now, but we have time to get there. But um, yeah, I think it's like, prioritizing in the beginning, if you're just starting out, you know, first dollar first, like what can you do to start bringing money in the door? Um, but then as you're growing, I really feel like if you have the cash flow um, to kind of save a little bit so that you have that money stored so that if you're ready to hire that next person or, um, you know, maybe it's investing in a redesign or another project or something, you have that cash in the bank so that you can make those big decisions. Um, when the timing is right. And so that's that's really helped us a lot, just having like a cushion, <laughs> essentially. Um, but then also just um, knowing that as you're growing, there's going to be ups and downs. Like, so we have a recurring uh, business model, so we can kind of project how much we're bringing in month to month or year to year. So that really helps, obviously, with planning and hiring and all of that. Um, but if you're not quite there, if you're doing the launch model, um, then I think it's even more important to have cash in the bank just because launches don't always go as planned or, you know, something happens in the world and then everyone's distracted. Um, but so I would say those are, are really important things. And then just kind of uh, thinking about who you hire next and how are they going to help short term and long term? So we, we think about that a lot because we know that, OK, so if we add another marketing person, we might be able to, you know, expand how many people see us or find out about us. Um, or if we add a salesperson, then we can um, convert some of those people that are on our email list or visiting our website to a demo call or something like that and get get them on to um, find out more about us or. On the flip side, for us, sometimes is we need to add somebody for support, right? So now that we've grown, we have a lot more customers, we need more people to support those customers. So kind of balancing all the different parts to make sure that you have the growth, but you're also on the delivery side, able to handle that um, as well. And so, yeah, those are some of the things that we think about when we're hiring. Yeah. How how difficult is support? Because with any software product, it it's it's such a huge component of the business. Yeah, so support is one of the things that um, we kind of pride ourselves on because it's, like you said, it's such an important part. Like if you run into an issue or you get stuck and you're using a product, you want to know that you can reach out and get some help and uh, it'll be quick. It'll be, you know, the right answer <laughs> to help you or solve the problem. Um, and then hopefully they'll be friendly and nice, right? So those are the things that uh, we really care about. And we found that if we have people who know the product really well and who are obviously like fun, cool humans, then it works out really well and um, people get the right support. And I think we also offer support in different ways. So we have obviously email support that people can get in touch with us. And that's kind of our like, you know, quickest best support. Um, but then also we have a Facebook group so people can kind of help each other if there's like a quick thing that they have a question about. And then we also offer tune-up calls. Um, so those are basically calls where every, three times a month, essentially people can come and jump on. We'll do um, like a little demo of what's, you know, what's new, or if they have a specific use case they're trying to achieve, we'll kind of show them how to do it live on a call. Um, and then we also have jumpstart calls. So that's for people who are just joining. So we basically help them onboard and get everything things set up um, the right way in the beginning. So we do a lot of different things to help people along the way. And um, 
I will say we've learned a lot <laughs> about how to do support <laughs> and um, and basically like how to escalate so that you know we don't have our developer um, you know our development team all the time in support because that was in the beginning, obviously it was just us, right? So it was yeah. us all the time answering support tickets. Um, but now we, you know, we have actual people who are um, awesome at debugging and just, you know, helping people along. Yeah. And so you're rolling out new, new things all the time. You're showing, I mean, you're showing through your, your regular calls, like, you know, the product market fit because you're there with the people you're interacting with the people that are using your product. And when so how would you sort of determine when you should add a feature or maybe maybe even um maybe even remove a feature possibly moving forward yes so we um you know we've done things like surveys in the past where we're like okay out of these three or four features we're considering building which one is more most important to you and we've used that to make decisions uh, we also just monitor what people say in facebook what they email us about like when they cancel what they say um, basically all of these things and then we kind of collect them into a jira which is basically like just a, a list of tasks and feature requests and stuff like that, that we're keeping track of. Um, and then we prioritize everything every single week. So we take a look at, you know, what's come in, what's new, um, which, which things does it help people with? So sometimes um, features are like, they're going to help people make more sales. Sometimes they help them manage their sites better. Sometimes it helps the students learn better. So we kind of um, figure out like, what's the end result from adding this uh, feature or improvement. And so that kind of helps us prioritize a little bit too. And then also if people, if a lot of people are asking for it, then we kind of bump that up too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've had to, there's a couple things we've removed or kind of simplified just because it was either too complicated or um, it had an integration with something that is no longer available or just doesn't work the way it used to very well. Um, so we've had to sunset some stuff too. But for the most part, people are very understanding if we're removing something. Um, but, and we try to always think long-term, like how can we future-proof this if we are adding something, uh, you know, what is it going to be like in five years? Is this something that's going to create a nightmare for people? Or if we really need to change it like a lot, what is that going to do to people's websites and their members and all of that? So we do think about that before we add stuff quite a bit. Um, and also from like a database and structural perspective to make sure that it can grow. Um, or like if somebody has like 100,000 members, what is that going to do to their websites? Um, so we do think about that a lot before we make additions and changes too. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's still a WordPress plugin or is it a standalone product? It's still a WordPress plugin at this point. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Are there any plans? Just, like visually, you can't even tell. I mean, it looks it looks like it's your own ecosystem and it looks gorgeous. So, Yeah. So we've done a lot of work on the design side and just like how it feels to be using the, the plugin uh, to mm -hmm. kind of feel like it's not a plugin. <laughs> I know that's a weird <laughs> thing to do, but um, it's just to make it more intuitive and, and easier for people to use. Um, but yeah, we've, we've talked about it a lot internally of whether we want to bring it in house, not in house, but like kind of hosted platform, um, kind of system. And we've found that basically our people like the flexibility of WordPress and they're kind of power users. Um, and so we do have plans to make it a little bit simpler in some ways, and then, uh, just keep some of that power under the hood for the more advanced users. Cause they want, um, all the cool stuff you can do with integrations and all of that too. Yeah. And when you started with it, did you start with a, a recurring revenue model or did you do launches or because I mean, that is a huge difference, um, just night and day in terms of knowing what you can expect over 
presumably over the next 12 months. That means a lot for growing the business. Absolutely. So that's kind of why we started with our pop-up ally product first. So that was a one-off. Um, it was like $99 and um, we had a renewal for 27 if you wanted support. And so that was kind of our test, right? Just to see like how that would go. And for Access Ally, I knew it had to be recurring for sure. So um, we started recurring from the beginning. And I will say like the growth at the very beginning was so slow. We had like four people <laughs> for a while. And I was like, oh, why did we do this? This is terrible. Um, but, you know, obviously it's grown a lot, a lot, a lot since then. Um, but yeah, and I think that's the thing, like with recurring, it's um, a long-term game. And luckily Papa Ballet was doing well and, you know, we had other, you know, sources of income at the time. So it was definitely a bootstrapping process to get there. Um, and, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, you're, are you sure? Like it's, it's a WordPress plugin, but it's expensive. Like how, how are you doing this? Right. Cause most plugins are like a hundred or 200 bucks a year. Um, and we're at um, 999 a year is our kind of cheaper option. And, um, you know, it really comes down to the value that people get out of it. Right. So they can actually sell bulk courses they can do recurring memberships for themselves and it just like the level of delivery that they can have and income that they can make using it like people tell us all the time like it pays for itself so i feel like there is pricing is really important but also knowing like we need to also support the team that does the software so that they can keep growing too right so that's kind of what we tell that um we kind of talk about that you know Sometimes WordPress plugins go bust and they disappear. And so for us, like we are here for the long term and we want people to know that um, when they're investing, that kind of guarantees that we'll still be here, essentially making it better. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is huge. And you almost have a, um, a recurring model that is as though you're hosting it yourself, which is perfect because it is hard. Like you mentioned, like $100 a year on this big plugin that's not going very far. I mean, you have to, I mean, if you're 999-ish for the cheapest one, I mean, that's 10 sales, a 10x difference in terms of how many sales you need just to, I don't want to say break even, but hit the the markers that you're at. So yeah, I mean, that is, I love that. That's definitely the way to go. So, but yeah, totally. I mean, what are you, so you're focusing on the permaculture on your own stuff and on this, yeah. is there anything specifically on either side that you're really excited for? Yeah, um, I'm really excited because we just hired a full-time developer to join the team. So they're coming on in January. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been like a long time coming <laughs> because like you would think we would have hired more developers, but we were like, we're fine. Um, so yeah, so I'm really excited about that because that is like, there's just so much we want to keep doing with the products. So I'm super excited about being able to go a little bit faster <laughs> on some of yeah. those things. Up to um, this point, how many people were developing? basically my husband and then I would jump in every now and then so wow that crazy. is I mean that's a huge product for just the two of you to be putting together like kudos yeah. on that that's awesome <laughs> yeah I know it's like and part of me is like we've we actually did have a developer for a short like maybe about a year yeah but for the most part it was mostly like I would say like 90% of the code is, is my husband's code so. <laughs> nice yeah and did you say you have someone planned or you're planning on yeah uh, starting um, the hiring process so he's on board um, and he's starting in January. So we're super excited about that. Um, awesome. And basically we were like, should we hire someone who's like a WordPress developer or like, you know, it was so, such a tricky thing to find, but we ended up going with a young grad um, out of computer science. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to like, we'll have to kind of unramp quite a bit, but I think it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Do you feel any sort of um, draw to start something new? 
I have to actively stop myself every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. seriously. <laughs> uh, and that's why I'm like, you know, it's very conscious. Like, I don't want to do a permaculture. Like, I, you know, mm. think because like that would be kind of my next direction probably. Um, but I'm really committed to Access LA and I want to, like, I, like I'm like i a quick start. I don't know if you're, you know, the Colby term where it's basically no. like entrepreneurial people love starting things. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so I love starting things. And so I have to like actively just be like, no. like And so what I've done is I kind of re-channel my starting things into within Access LA. So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to start whether it's a new piece of content or yeah, you know, that I kind of just use my creativity like within the existing structure. So I don't destroy everything every time I have an idea because <laughs> that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> has happened multiple times. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, because there are, there's so many exciting paths that we can, we can run down. So exactly. like keeping that, cause that is the, the core of your business. So you don't want to, mm -hmm. you don't want to throw that away. You want to, want to yep. keep growing. What does it like a typical day look like for you then? Because you, you wear a lot yeah. of hats. It sounds like. Yeah. So right now, um, because we're working on this like really big update for Access Ally, I'm actually developing like probably 60% of my time. Um, so like committing code and everything. Um, before that, I was like designing with, we have another like UX designer. So just working on the interface design. And then before that, I, we were doing a big SEO push. So I was working on um, a lot of content, like strategizing around our SEO. Like we're doing a lot of competitor um, like, you know, X versus X on our website uh -huh. so that people yeah, are comparing those two, they find us. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it just kind of depends like what our big focus is and it changes like pretty often. Um, and then the, the, another core thing of like what my day looks like is just, um, helping, helping the team. So we have a project manager, like a team lead, and she does most of the day-to-day -day with our team, but there's like hiring stuff. There's like, you know, just people things, right? So that that's the other big part of my day. So like calls and that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Is there anything that if you could sort of take it off of your plate, you would that you haven't yet removed? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to having the developer because to be oh, honest, yeah. working with my husband on code is <laughs> like, it's not good for our marriage. <laughs> but yeah. um, so that I'm looking forward to, but um, yeah, like I enjoy a lot of the things I do. So I feel like there's not, it's not, like I have to get anything off my plate necessarily. Um, I do enjoy the writing. That's probably like if I had to just do one thing, that's probably one of the areas I would stick to. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I feel like that is a superpower in entrepreneurship. It's like, I mean, yeah. it's a consistent practice to cultivate that. But I, mm -hmm. I always want to write. I want to create content, do these things. But it's, I have so much resistance to doing it. Not like I start, I'm the yeah. quick start. I start yes. writing this stuff. I have all my... <laughs> thousands of notes in my notes apps of all these like ideas and concepts and even outlines of things but I never flesh them yes. out because I'm always like back to back to the code back to the strategy whatever it is that comes up so yeah that's I feel yeah. like that's a very valuable um skill and passion to have mm -hmm. which is something Dave and I we haven't expanded it's the two of us 100% in-house but that is yep. the one thing that I wish one of us had sort of in our wheelhouse but mm -hmm. it makes sense, I guess, like the clients that we work with, that is their wheelhouse. So that makes like, sense. Yeah. yeah, Jill, Kidney Stone Diet, like she's constantly creating and working with people and doing things. The Minimalist, constantly writing, producing a podcast, doing all this stuff. So we're yeah. like, okay, how do we take this and then build a business that actually works within the confines of like what they're already doing? So I guess it makes That's sense. Awesome. But I always wish for us that we had that sort of innate drive. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's a third 
third person that comes in and does it or I don't know. Yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been so averse to um, growth, not for any particular reason, but just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I like things a very specific way. And I also don't want to have any overhead. We, and we try to, we get, try to get as close yeah. to like zero as possible. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not bad. Sometimes some years we're yeah. able to really get there, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I totally feel you. And sometimes I'm like, why do we have a team? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, I love them obviously, but it's like, oh, it's a lot of, you know, everything. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and, sure. and, and it, it's also motivating because it's like, we need to feed these people. <laughs> like we need to make mm-hmm. sure that they are, you know, taken care of. So sometimes it gets us out of bed to be like, okay, like we need to work because it's not just for us, you know? Yeah, um, so it sure. kind of has a flip side, but yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, like an in-person thing that you do? Because I assume everyone is remote. Um, do you do any sort yes. of in-person like once a year uh, meetups or anything? Yes. Yeah. We do a, a once a year team retreat. Um, but which we haven't done for two years because everyone had a baby last year oh, wow. <laughs> like, and then everyone with COVID, not everyone, uh-huh. but three of us on the team had babies. So it was mm-hmm. just like a weird <laughs> year. Um, so yeah. And then maybe we won't have one next year. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, we okay. try to meet once a year. Yeah. Um, and do you communicate just through Slack? Do you do, a, I'm sure there's a lot of back and forth just, I mean, you have, you think of the office generally people walking around chatting yeah. and sort of staying connected but when we're remote it's it's just different totally yeah so we do slack we do zoom weekly meetings and then we have like sort of department meetings once a week too and then um we do quarterly meetings and monthly meetings <laughs> like it's like oh, yeah. a lot of meetings <laughs> uh-huh. but like for different things like for once for like our like our theme of the month and then the other one is for like um just like kind of planning purposes and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so we do, we're like constantly in touch. <laughs> good, yeah. yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's what it takes. It's how you build that tight-knit community. Yeah, exactly. And then we also have like Asana tickets and like not tickets, but like, you know, notes on specific projects and tasks and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot yeah. of communication. <laughs> oh sure. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I would, um, how I'd operate within that system like currently just because I mean, Dave and I talk a lot, like we're just texting each other all the time, but really it's just like, oh, hey, do you want to work on this? Okay, cool. And then we're just silent, just working in our little silos. Which is sometimes nice. Yeah. It is. It's like deep work. Really nice. Yep, exactly. Yeah. We've tried to work together in different spaces, whether we were traveling for something or um, Dave lived here for a while even and like, but we never really work together. Like even if, if we're in the same space, we're more maybe strategizing and talking about ideas, but yep. we're never getting any actual like, like physical to, yeah. work done. Yeah. So <laughs> totally. Yeah. We had to learn, learn that balance with everything that, you know, everything you've learned and experienced over the decade plus, if you were to say, wake up and start over with all the knowledge, all the knowledge is exactly there, but the stuff you've done actually hasn't happened yet. You haven't done it. But in the 2020 world, with the knowledge you have, you could, um, maybe the network is a percentage of the size it is, or maybe at the beginning, depending on where you want to look, how would you start over today? Yeah, so my usual answer for this kind of question is I would go to a lot of conferences, but mm-hmm. <laughs> right now in 2020, yeah, this year, <laughs> this is probably not my best answer um, because conferences would be all online and that would be really hard to connect with people and network. So um, yeah, I would say I would probably look at um, 
kind of what, what is my skill set? What do I like to do? And then what people out there are in need of what I can do. So I think that I probably wouldn't start a software company right away. Um, just because from what I've learned, I don't think it's the best first thing because you could spend years or months um, just creating something and then not know if it's going to be um, taken in by anyone, if anyone really wants it, if the pricing is right, if the products, if the features are right. Um, so I would start sort of consulting or some other even working for free, if I had to, to kind of get to know, like, what are people's problems? Like, what solutions could there be to those problems? And uh, I think that that's always just a much easier way to get started. Um, just because we make assumptions, right? So as, as entrepreneurs, we're like, oh, I can fix this. I know it's right. But then when you talk to people, you're like, oh, no, actually, it's kind of like my raw food switch thing, right? Like, people mm -hmm. don't want to switch. <laughs> uh, and so it could just be like, you're like, I'm going to solve this thing by creating this product or this course or this software, but people don't want any of those things. They just want maybe somebody to do it for them, or maybe they want a completely different type of solution than what you were thinking. So that would be my, my take is I would just find people. And when I say find people, maybe it's on Twitter, maybe it's on Facebook, maybe it's um, in a Slack group or another community. I would try to find um, a group of people that I feel like we have some sort of alignment or synergy and I could provide value to them. Um, and that's super vague, but I feel like <laughs> there's probably something and, and I would not um, start with what I'm the most passionate about just because that, you know, so for example, we, we chatted a little bit that um, I'm really into permaculture and like gardening and kind of the going back to farming and all of that, but I wouldn't like, and I've consciously decided not to start a business around that because that's something I kind of want to keep as a hobby and not have it become a job. Um, and I, yeah, so that, that would be something I'd be careful of is not going to what I'm super excited about, but um, thinking about something I can see myself doing for many, many years. Yeah. And you're solving problems. I mean, I feel like as entrepreneurs, especially software engineers, software developers, we're problem solvers at our core and finding the problems that people actually need to be solved. I mean, that is a huge thing. And but like you said, it all comes back to people. You're you would initially start out by rebuilding or growing the network that you have. And that's yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. And I think we'll We'll wrap there. I don't want to take too much of your day. Um, where should we send people to check out Access Ally, everything that you're up to and whatnot? Absolutely. So accessally.com is the best place. Um, and then if you want to build your email list, we have a great challenge that's still going strong. It's called 30daylistbuildingchallenge.com. And it's totally free. You sign up and you get a little lesson every day for 30 days. And it will teach you how to build an email list in a community that would hopefully buy products and services that you have to offer. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. Like you said, you were you were doing this when you were when you were a teen. <laughs> so you definitely know a thing or two about building the newsletter, building the engagement. So definitely hope people people check it out. Well thanks again Natalie. Like really appreciate you taking the time and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much Jeff. It's awesome to be here. I want to thank Natalie for joining me on this episode. Definitely be sure to check out accessally.com for her, her membership software that we talked about and also 30daylistbuildingchallenge.com where she helps you build your email list and grow your business. As always, this episode of Starting Now was brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's BYLT.co to get started. Built. Your website, built for you, simply. 
Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the video version of the show on YouTube, which is my favorite version of the show. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.